0: on the wrestling podcast about nothing it is back to the 90s we're taking a look back at the wwf's much maligned new generation the good the bad and the nothing
1: i got my hammer pants on and i'm playing with a tamagotchi mike
0: you're playing with much more than that plus your promo about nothing is coming up and so much more but first tell him, george
2: i think i can sum up the show for you with one word nothing
0: Welcome to the Wrestling Podcast of But Nothing, episode 156, a production of Crackpot Podcasts. My name is Mike Crockett. I'm a longtime independent wrestling referee in the Northeast. Currently on an extended hiatus from the ring. And joining me, as always, is a veteran of the New England Independent Mat Wars. Now he is a contracted Ring of Honor wrestler. He is Mr. Inside Edition. He is one half of the bouncers. He is the brawling kingpin, Brian Malonis.
1: It's just Brawler Malonis now, Mike. Look at my Twitter. Just Brawler Malonis, huh? Yeah, that's that's what's what I am on Twitter now. Yeah, the Kingpin, I guess, is uh, is no more. I guess.
0: And you lost your first name,
1: apparently. <laughs> that's happening a lot these days in the world of pro wrestling.
0: It sure is. <laughs> <laughs> just getting weird, different names—that whole deal. Uh, all right, I guess you're just falling in line then.
1: Absolutely.
0: All right. Well, Brian. Uh, I mean, it just—we're recording Easter evening. And I had a, a very nice turkey dinner with my family and I am uh, I'm stuffed quite literally.
1: yeah I, uh, same same here buddy. I, uh, ham and potatoes and mini eggs and beer and all sorts of uh, you know all sorts of good stuff.
0: Yeah, well, we're gonna trudge through here because uh, you know I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm liable to just pass out right in the middle of this thing.
1: <laughs> hey, me too a couple more beers and maybe I'll be there.
0: No, but there's plenty of uh, exciting things to talk about. We're going to talk about something we rarely have talked about here on the Wrestling Podcast about nothing. But before we get to it, let's talk about BrianMalonis.com, right?
1: Yeah, so it's funny. I posted a picture from a show I did last week where I was wearing the old Kingpin you know, I guess it's not really a kingpin design. It's just a Brian Malone's design with my my official logo and uh, quite a few comments on it. And I've been plugging online com like crazy. So if you like that uh, Mastodon Skull t-shirt, get yourself over there. Uh, also, a couple other of couple other nice little t-shirts on there. Maybe a couple designs in the work for some online exclusives. We'll see. We'll see. But uh, head on over now. You can even get a WPAN Curtain Jerker t-shirt.
0: Yes, you can. And yeah, you added a show in the middle of the week last week just out of nowhere, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got a kind of a uh late offer and uh yeah, decided to go uh go down to Malden and, and uh take part in Belltime Club's show that they were they were putting on, a lot of fun. Met Smalls from uh the Sandlot, so that was kind of cool. And is there, are you a big Sandlot guy? I am. I love the Sandlot. So, he
0: was a nice guy or?
1: Yeah, he was a nice guy. Hey, also, you'll you'll, you'll like this, Mike, a little blast from the past. I had an in-ring promo with Trey the Smooth Operating Gangster.
0: You're kidding
1: me. No, no. And I even hit a line about uh, about him carrying around Triple H's bags before he became a big deal.
0: <laughs> and you said that uh, you like your peanut butter crunchy?
1: <laughs> no, I didn't. I should have said that, though, huh?
0: That would have been a good one. Check in with me next time.
1: <laughs> I, I will. I'll, I'll get my lines from you.
0: There you go. Uh, you can also get some lines at the WPAN.com. That is the WPAN.com.
1: Wait, wait, what are we getting at the WPAN.com? uh <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were in the 90s, not the 80s today. Oh,
0: <laughs> excuse me. I got a uh, the time machine kind of uh, malfunction there for a second.
1: You know, the NSA is listening to this right now. <laughs>
0: oh, my goodness. All right. Well, uh, just go to the WPAN.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on all the various podcast platforms. Plus, you can find our social media links. We're basically at the WPAN on all social media platforms. Also, you have the photos there. You have the bios. So much going on there at the WPAN. WPAN.com. So check it all out. And Brian, I talked about how we heavily discussed this era of WWF wrestling on the WPAN. And a lot of people shit on the new generation of the WWF. What's your overall feeling on this time period, which according to Wikipedia is from 1993 to 1997?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I, I mean, the way I look at this era, it's the ultimate rebuilding era of, of WWE. It was. You know, the, the boom of the 80s had, had subsided and a lot of things going on, a lot of people leaving, uh, just a complete, I think, transition in the company. And I mean, you know, when it's kind of when like a baseball or a football team kind of go through a rebuilding period. And, and that's what I kind of look at this era of WWE. So some, you know, definitely some good things going on, but ultimately it was setting the stage for the next, you know, four or five years.
0: Is that what the Baltimore Orioles are currently going through, a rebuilding period?
1: Ah, uh, you know theirs. It might be about twenty-five, thirty years old at this point.
0: Sorry, P.W. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, you talked about how this is a rebuilding period. Just a year prior, I believe, nineteen ninety-two was the steroid trial, the George Zahorian steroid trial. Uh, you know where Vince was basically put. Uh, he could have gone away for a long time if they were able to determine that he encouraged wrestlers to use these uh, tools of enhancement to uh, work for him in the WWF. But he ended up uh, getting off. In the meantime, they made this kind of conscious decision, I think, to push more athletic wrestlers rather than the jacked guys, stereotypical of the 80s.
1: Yeah, I mean, just look at the... Just look at the body types. I mean, they change pretty drastically uh, in this era. Um, I mean, I, I think you know, I think those sorts of enhancements probably still existed, but uh, certainly not the not to the level that it did in the in the heyday of WWE.
0: Yeah, and the guys were obviously much better in ring performers in that period. I mean, Bret Hart was the guy that most people look to as one of the leaders of the new generation, and he definitely more of a Worker than perhaps the previous era. And this era right here, the new generation, I kind of have a special affinity for it because this is when I started going regularly to WWF shows. I mean, I was in high school at the time. These shows, they weren't happening at the Boston Garden. They weren't happening at the Worcester Centrum. It was the Lowell Memorial Auditorium and the Worcester Auditorium, which I'm not sure even still exists. I haven't really heard anything about it in many, many years. Also, the fact that a lot of the guys I started hanging around, Kierle Kowalski's, as I mentioned a bunch of times on the podcast, and the guys that were working for Kiril Kowalski were getting booked on these shows because... With the WWF not doing so well in this time period financially, they stuck around the Northeast a lot more than any other era. So, I mean, you know, since the expansion, obviously. They were here like every other month, probably, and so... I would see these guys that I go to the local independent shows and see uh, doing jobs on these WWF shows. And a lot of the guys I would go with ended up like Steve King, a good friend of mine, would be on these shows. Tony Roy, um, Chris Duffy, who we've talked about on the podcast. Uh, So I kind of have a special place in my heart for the new generation and... What we're going to do here talking about this time period from 93 to 97 is we're going to break it down into three categories. The good of the new generation, the bad and the nothing so we're gonna go back and forth brian revealing our picks for good things about the new generation of the wwf bad things and the nothing and when i say nothing we're talking about something that was probably perceived to have value but didn't or something that in retrospect turned out to really not matter that much it was there yeah, it was just kind of there. So that's what you mean when we say nothing for that category.
1: To break it down further, folks. I mean, like kind of like the the referee in a pro wrestling match.
0: Okay, the good, Ryan. <laughs> do you have something that was good about the new generation of the WWF? <laughs> yeah,
1: I I do. Um I guess I'll start with 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 I mean, it's an obvious one, but not the kind of the tippy top, And I'm going to say Yokozuna was a um, a very good thing uh, in the uh, as part of the new generation. He was, you know, he was like the bridge, really, between the whole, you know, Hulk, Hulk Hogan, who was the top babyface of the previous era, and and Bret Hart. I feel like um, he's the man that ended Hulkamania essentially in WWE for that time being, uh, and also the guy who Bret Hart, I think, really became like the guy against. But Yokozuna, I mean, uh, really, I mean, could move very underratedly how well Yokozuna could move uh, and, and just was somebody unlike, you know, for the Hogan era, Hogan was the champion predominantly with, with a few exceptions, um, you know, Savage held it, the Warrior, Sergeant Slaughter, but nobody quite ever looked like yokozuna held the wwe championship before so I, I think he was really kind of a breath of fresh air and and something very positive about that era
0: and he was kind of the next evolution of that body type i mean if you saw someone like yokozuna in the 80s he would be the lumbering fella that's putting over hulk hogan at various events but yokozuna this guy like you said could move and he was uh, a guy that was a bit slighter of frame earlier on in his career and could move around really well and as he gained weight and continued to gain weight uh, you know up to a point he could still do just about everything he used to do as a lighter guy and it just uh, it was amazing to see from a guy at that size of course he did eventually get even too big to do that much and he was uh, not really. He was kind of taken off TV, and I think he was ordered to lose weight. And I don't think he ever really did. But uh, Yokozuna was uh, for a big man, just uh, amazing. And a lot of people talk about Vader and Bam Bam Bigelow as big guys. The you know the prototype of the big guy who can do athletic things. And Yokozuna, I think, is kind of forgotten in that category. But it really shouldn't be because he was a big guy who could do amazing things.
1: Yeah, I think some of it is because of how short uh, really his time period was, especially especially being on top. But as just as a fan, if you want to go back and uh, and watch some <laughs> something that's that'll make you cringe, go back and watch Yokozuna delivering the bonsai drop to uh, some of the the old enhancement talents on superstars back in the day. Good gravy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you could tell which job guys he liked and which job guys he didn't like because the ones he did like, he would hit the bonsai and land on his feet. The ones he didn't, those legs just went wee.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff.
0: (laughs) Holy Moses. It's a wonder he didn't break someone's sternum, ribs. Uh, Maybe he did. I don't know. They just didn't talk about it. But yeah, some of those are amazing i remember one in particular where they showed the replay and you can hear the enhancement guy like no 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 uh, literally you can hear him <laughs> just about to lose uh, his life
1: about to die
0: <laughs> yeah it was uh, amazing um yokozuna definitely uh threw his weight around in more ways than one uh Okay, so the bad. I will hit you with the first of the bad of the new generation. And okay, I'll take this one from you, Brian. Losing Hogan was tough. Losing Hogan was tough on the WWF in this period. I mean, they didn't know a World Wrestling Federation without Hulk Hogan at the helm, and they obviously held on to him as long as they could, and eventually... He went, I believe, to do Thunder in Paradise, and from there, it was WCW bound. So Hogan, it took him a little while to get their footing. Obviously, the new generation, as I mentioned, uh, financially, they weren't doing very well. I think some of that could be attributed to the fact that their number one guy is no longer there. They're still trying to figure out which direction they're going. But Hogan, losing Hogan in that time period uh, was a big blow. I mean... Regardless of how you feel about Hogan, it was a big blow to the WWF at this time.
1: Yeah, I mean, and if you want, Mike, I mean, if you don't mind, sure, maybe we can just ex- kind of expand upon this because I actually have as more of like a general thing, just the loss of some some valuable kind of veteran talent. With some of it intentional, some of it unintentional, but uh, still, you know, still guys who, and I don't know each guy's individual age, but they were, you know, they they were looking to go younger, and there was definitely a conscious effort. But I think they there was a lot of guys who. Who left during this time period that that really could have added value? I mean, you talked about Hulk Hogan, who, you know, uh, who knows? Maybe WWE could have held on to him and done the heel heel turn. I mean, the crowd was definitely starting to sour on Hulkamania a little bit. They had just seen it for so long and wanted something fresh. But uh, I also kind of think back to, um, and it was really, I guess, at the very beginning of it, but Ric Flair leaving uh, to head back down. Down south, and I think there's somebody who, um, who really could have been a valuable member of of that roster for that time period for WWE. Certainly, the, from a, a name recognition value, but just you know, you think about all these younger guys and all these younger talents that you want to, uh, you know, you that you want to establish and you want to uh, push to the forefront. I mean, you know, why wouldn't you want a guy like a Ric Flair around?
0: And of course, uh, Macho Man is a big one and randy savage was kind of toiling on commentary i'm not sure the full story on that you heard that vince was really wanting to have macho man be the babe ruth i mean they always say this the babe ruth of pro wrestling where he would come in occasionally and wrestle but his main thing was commentary and i mean i guess this was against randy Savage's wishes because what i heard is he wanted to wrestle and he went to wcw and became once again a full-time wrestler so losing the macho man um i don't know if it was a big blow because they weren't planning on doing anything with him anyway and he was on commentary you know he was randy savage but cumulatively all these guys leaving definitely sent the message as a viewer of the wwf that something was off here
1: Think of the wrestling landscape and how it changes if uh, the WWE at this point in time holds on to Hogan, Flair, and Savage. It's like you don't even know like what even possibly could have happened because those are the guys that went went to WCW, gave them back the credibility, and started to swing the momentum back towards WCW. But they also freed up the space for eventually a lot of this young talent to come up in WWE and establish themselves. So. It's it's like unfathomable, like you know. You, you think of like the butterfly effect or whatever. Like, I you know, if Hogan, Flair, and Savage stick around WWE, like what does the wrestling landscape look like in the '90s?
0: No, yeah, definitely very interesting. Um, and they did eventually find their guy. Um, you know, with DX uh, coming to prominence and Steve Austin, of course, being the guy that took them to the stratosphere once again as the uh, leader. I guess one of the leaders of the attitude era, but the new generation, Brian. Let's talk about the nothing. What's your first nothing? Something that really didn't matter either way when it comes to the new generation of the WWF.
1: Right. Well, I'm gonna th- I'm gonna throw a. a-, a- out there, right from the right from the start, because this was clearly meant to be something that was going to set uh, WWE on fire, and it just really fell flat. And it wasn't even all that bad. It just kind of kind of was there and and fell way short of uh, expectation. And eventually, this person migrated back to WCW. And uh, I'm talking about Lex Luger um, and and the Lex Express and and all that. I mean. It, uh, to me, it's the ultimate nothing of of this era. Uh, I mean, it's it fell completely flat. Here is was supposed to probably supplant Bret Hart as the top guy. I, I, I would imagine what what it looked like and was never able to get over in the way that Bret Hart or or Hulk Hogan was before him. Didn't put on really any, any good matches or any memorable matches, so to speak. Uh, they never put the title on him. He ended up in a kind of an ill-fated tag team with the British Bulldog and then just kind of went back to WCW. And, uh, I mean, I don't think WWE was all that changed either way from it.
0: I was always perplexed with this because they pushed Lex Luger like, they haven't pushed anyone since Hogan. Just the the Lex Express, the whole deal. Uh, number one guy waving the American flag, and the fact that they didn't pull the trigger—it was weird to me. I mean, I—he was getting crowd reactions. I mean, they weren't Hogan crowd reactions, but he was getting good crowd reactions. And I would have thought that they would have gone all the way and given him the title just to see what happened if they could, you know keep this thing going i mean it's not what not going at 100% but it was going it was the thing they put all of their eggs in that basket they you know, they put all their money on lex luger and then they folded it like the very last minute it was always very strange to me but i guess yeah in the end it really was nothing were you amazed by the fact that they didn't go all the way
1: yeah, I mean it was it was bizarre when he won by count out and the way they celebrated when he yeah. won by count out <laughs> Drop so the balloons. Weird. Even I even mean, as like a kid, like watching that, I was just like I was probably, you know, twelve, thirteen years old somewhere in there. I was just like well, he won by count. I didn't win the title. Like, why are they making such a big deal about this? Like, it was so silly to me even at uh, that point. And I know it wasn't there. It was it filmed in Lowell or filmed in Worcester? A celebration with Lex Luger with the WWE title, right? It wasn't there?
0: I don't think it was local. No, but I do. I do remember. I actually just saw that the other day online. Actually.
1: Yeah, there was something to that to that effect, and you know, you wonder if you know, and you listen to um, you know something to wrestle. I don't know if you, I mean, I think it was like the second episode or something uh, of something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. But you wonder if if Lex's backstage attitude and and unwillingness to fully buy in to some of the uh, some of the stuff with the Lex Express and actually be on the bus and tour the country, and you wonder if the that perhaps is what led to some of the cold feet.
0: Yeah, probably. I mean, I... I don't know. I think it's has been more of a decision by the brass than it was a decision by the fans. I think in the end,
1: yeah. Uh, but even still, though, I think Bret Hart was always much more loved than than Lex Luger during this era. And I'm and i and this is coming from a guy who's I am not a Bret Hart guy. I've never been a Bret Hart guy. I was never a big Bret Hart fan. But I think Bret Hart, you know, even even when they were both there and both being pushed as kind of one and one A, I thought Bret Hart really, you know, trumped him and you know adulation from the fans.
0: And he was a homegrown guy, and of course, Vince always prefers someone that he built from the beginning.
1: So I like Narcissus better anyways.
0: <laughs> look at the striations! Look! <laughs> look at the pecs! <laughs> uh, okay, let's go back to the good of the new generation, and I will take this one. Kingpin, you talked about Bret Hart, and you mentioned Yokozuna was uh, one of your good things about the new generation. I will say the brett versus owen feud one of the best things about the new generation of the wwf and it was done over such a long period of time it didn't feel drawn out but it went over a long period of time very subtly happened from you know event to event you see these little things these little cracks forming and eventually i think it was the survivor series in boston right where Uh, Owen or Brett. Brett knocks Owen off the apron into the barricade, and Owen is pissed. And then finally, at the Royal Rumble in Providence, Rhode Island. Owen kicks Brett's leg out of his leg and that really kicks off the feud between Brett and Owen and they had great matches of course opening WrestleMania 10 for one and then the cage match after that I'm not sure when that was but another great match but the entire feud the entire build of this and then of course culminating in the matches which were amazing Brett Hart versus Owen Hart was a really good thing about the new generation
1: yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny. Uh, you talked about the the actual turn with the with the tag match, and um, you know, one of one of uh, PCO's first nights in Ring of Honor. I was um sitting next to him we're changing and uh, i had met him a few times before so I, I was already pretty comfortable with him and I just asked him about 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 that night and um he didn't have a ton to say about it it was more along the lines of you ever see the old SNL Chris Farley skit of like hey uh, PCO, do you, do you remember uh, do you remember when Owen turned on Brett and and, and you were half of the tag champs that was cool. That was awesome. <laughs> That's that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, it, it was it was excellent. I mean, the matches. I mean, very memorable. Uh, when you think about um WrestleMania ten, and then you think about the Backlund kind of uh, and Bob Backlund being intertwined, and Owen crying, <laughs> begging his parents to throw in the towel, and uh the cage match. I believe it was a SummerSlam ninety four. Mm-hmm. Um, where random for some inexplicable reason, Davy Boy Smith is just sitting in the crowd. Um, made no sense either, but uh, just yeah, it was it was tremendous. So well done. The, the I mean, the only guess bummer out of that is, is Owen Hart never got a run with the title.
0: Yeah, and uh, Mr. Backlund too. Let me just put that in there. He was a good thing about the WWF.
1: You know, I've been watching these these '93 superstars they have up on the WWE network, and I don't, I, you know, I still to this day can't figure out from watching those if he was supposed to eventually be a heel or if this was because the the vignettes with him definitely seem tongue in cheek when I watch them back now, but I don't know if they feel that way because I know what happened already.
0: Oh yeah, when he just comes back and he's yeah, the all American boy again when he first <laughs> yes. returns. Yes. Uh yeah, maybe I should go back and watch that. It really feels like they're laying it on thick.
1: Yeah, it does it does, and I didn't think anything of it at the time, obviously, but uh, yeah, I mean now although again I'm also watching him in twenty nineteen where everybody's a bit more jaded and um but it just yeah, it felt really, really corny and re- <laughs> really like over the top, you know, pushing him as a like a goody goody.
0: And Mr. Backlund, just uh, fantastic, his promos and all that stuff. I, I loved it. But uh, let's move on to the bad of the new generation, Brian. Your first bad thing about 93 to 97 WWF.
1: Ooh, so, uh, you know, um, <laughs> you talked about stars who kind of, we've talked about stars coming and going and things like that. And, and certainly, you know, one that kind of had a lot of back and forth and ultimately it probably was a good thing that he left that's the ultimate warrior him during this time period what did he have like kind of two or three separate comebacks and all of them seemed ill-fated and didn't quite uh, work out as you know quite as planned and even even the the Wrestlemania match with Triple H which I believe was his second kind of comeback during this era correct
0: I think so. Yeah, he made the comeback uh, a couple of years and saved Hogan at the end of a WrestleMania.
1: Yeah, then he came. Then there was that. You know, that was like ninety four ish. He was feuding with Jerry Lawler. Yes, um, just you know, wearing singlets and wearing the the damn hat in the ring because he was getting <laughs> hit with the picture. And um, it was always start and stop with him, and they never could quite recapture the magic that was the Ultimate Warrior of the late eighties and early nineties. But just uh, really a disappointing thing, and a guy that that truth be told. They really could have used um, in this era to be, you know, the top guy, even uh, the top draw to move that merchandise to be that face of the company. And I, th- I think ultimately, um, ultimately, you
0: know, huh? yeah
1: (laughs) when you do when you do see that though and his inability to kind of stick around and get over to that level without hulk hogan there and Bret hart kind of surpassing him and and taking over that mantle i think i think it really shows how limited the ultimate warrior truly was
0: and i had this on my nothing list because he was yeah he was a big deal in the late 80s and this comeback uh, i'm specifically talking about the comeback where he wrestled triple h and then had the feud with jerry lawler and gold dust but uh, that was just turned out to be nothing it didn't help anything i mean it didn't really hurt much of anything i mean if they were looking to put him at the top i don't know why they had him feuding with uh, gold dust the intercontinental champion and jerry lawler i don't know what direction they were going in with him it didn't look like they were going to the top with him i don't know what maybe it was just the issues that they had at wrestlemania with him uh, after he was supposed to have a somewhat competitive match with uh, hunter Hurst helmsley that turned into a you know minute-long squash maybe they decided <laughs> there that they weren't going to go with him as uh, a top guy as they had in the past but the Ultimate Warrior, in my opinion, uh, that was kind of uh, a nothing. But I can see your point as well, that it was uh, a bad thing, especially given that he was a guy that they you know, strapped the rocket to a couple of years earlier.
1: Uh, yeah, yes, I, I guess I looked at it as bad because ultimately it was just this disappointing thing that probably every you know everybody had high hopes for and I, I think I think the difference between like him and like Alex Luger where I put Lex Luger on the nothing and him on the bad list was because of the the kind of the stratosphere that the warrior had reached in WWE before you know and and, and this felt like a like a really big letdown
0: yeah okay let's move on to the nothing and this is me talking about the nothing of the new generation. How about that, Dean Douglas, <laughs> a guy that came in? I I kind of enjoyed the vignettes, to be honest with you. The the A plus and you know giving different guys different grades for the stuff they do in the ring. I thought it was fun, but boy did that turn out to be nothing. He was a top guy in ECW. Uh, you know, everyone raved about his promos. You know, I'm not as high on him as other people seem to be, especially Tarzan and Taylor, but. Dean Douglas, uh, I mean, he was a teacher, but it never really clicked. uh, It never really connected. And, of course, if you had talked to him, it was all because of the click. That's why he didn't get over. Um, (laughs) I'm not sure if that's the case, but either way. I will say that Dean Douglas was nothing in the new generation.
1: You're saying he can uh, kiss your ass. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't. I, I mean, I, I can't tell you what was going on in the locker room at that time, but based on that shit gimmick, I. Pretty sure it wasn't the click's fault that he didn't get over. Yeah, I mean, it was it was rubbish. It was complete. It was it was garbage. I mean, it's it's part of that. You know, it's that it one of the, another one of those hokey, like this guy can't just be a freaking professional wrestler. He has to have another side job, you know, besides being a. A pro wrestler, which you know that that era, this era, especially the um, the early part of the new generation was was very famous for. Everybody had to have a secondary career; they couldn't just be a pro wrestler.
0: They weren't making any money, so you have to have a second job,
1: right? <laughs> I mean, clearly.
0: Okay. The good. Let's get back to the good of the new generation of the WWF, Brian. Something that's good.
1: All right. Well, uh, I, I mean, I mean, this is good. But Mike, he's the bad guy. Uh, yeah. See what I did there? I'm getting you. <laughs> Razor Ramon, I think, was a really good thing about the new generation. Um, I love this character from the word go. Um, the the vignettes, which I've recently <laughs> seen uh, in order. First of all, his, his accent. I didn't realize how terrible his accent was. Really, really bad, especially in the early vignettes. <laughs> really terrible, uh, but the the character, the I mean, the look, the way he worked, his size. Uh, I mean, Razor Ramon had it all. Uh, I, I just absolutely tremendous. I and 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 as a kid, even when he was when he was a bad guy, I enjoyed Razor Ramon thoroughly. Uh, you know, you, you know, it's funny. <laughs> And, and, I, and I do it, and I, they, I don't think they ever catch it on camera in Ring of Honor, but I, every time like I, I have leftover beer and I hand it to uh, a ring attendant, I'll, I'll always hit the line of, something bad happens to this, something bad's going to happen to you.
0: <laughs> a nice tribute there, Kingpin. Yeah, absolutely. Uh- I loved
1: Razor Ramon. I didn't love Razor Ramon enough to get one of those shitbag all over shirts, though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that says oozing machismo on it.
1: <laughs> yes,
0: you never want a shirt that says oozing on it. Okay, that's just a general rule.
1: <laughs> probably, probably a good idea.
0: Uh, the funny thing is that Razor Ramon was just basically the Diamond Stud from WCW with a bad accent and better gear. I mean, there's really no difference if you go back and look at the WCW stuff with the diamond stud. And he had the same exact look, but to just the gear and the WWF machine behind him really just uh boosted him to astronomical heights
1: and you can't no, Mike, it's completely different wcw when hall went over there stole the razor ramon character what don't what don't you understand
0: oh i forgot about that yeah <laughs> i guess you're right i guess you're right and of course we can't forget we just talked about wrestlemania 10 with brett versus owen but the latter match i uh, mentioned recently here on the wpan but i mean that thing just set the world on fire and uh, created a whole new match type that everyone couldn't wait to sink their teeth into and i mean that will always be associated with Shawn michaels of course and with razor amon so you got to think ladder match when you think about uh, razor amon
1: you know yeah that that match inspired a whole generation full of neck surgeries oh <laughs> my goodness yes
0: <laughs> all right the bad kingpin the bad of your specialty
1: the- Negativity. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Another guy that uh, dressed in gold, that had gold accoutrements. Let's talk about this man as a main event player in the WWF at this time. King Mabel. <laughs> Goodness.
1: Brother. <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay. Give Make him a king, whatever. But putting him in the main events... Having him uh, feud with Diesel, who was you know limited as it was, but to put Diesel in the ring with King Mabel is just a recipe for a shit sandwich. And
1: <laughs> you are not ta- you didn't mean shit sandwich, right? You meant a toilet sandwich.
0: <laughs> I think they're one of the same, uh, according to an old friend of ours. But uh, yeah, King Mabel as a top guy. I mean, obviously, big guy, very intimidating looking. I can understand it, but he just couldn't hold up his end of the bargain as a main event player, and it wasn't a, a long period of time. I think they learned their lesson after maybe a couple of years, <laughs> but uh, King Mabel as a top guy just wasn't cutting the mustard.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, just, yeah. Ill, ill-fated, ill-conceived. Um, the opposite of the Yokozuna we talked about earlier. He was <laughs> yes. a throwback to the
0: old, lumbering big guys. I mean, he did some okay stuff a lot of times he destroyed people doing that stuff but yeah he was not the type of big guy that uh is someone to enjoy
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i think i think he is kind of a throwback in that he's more of a guy who probably had to be protected and um more of a novelty act than somebody who you're going to put out there in your in your main events and try to have them go 15 20 minutes and yeah i mean uh, I, I mean really it's it's probably not his fault uh, was probably put in a spot that uh, that he probably shouldn't have been in uh, because of his look and size i mean his size is impressive i mean uh, i don't know if you ever around him in person no but uh, working some shows with him later. I mean, sadly, it was late in his life that I, that I worked some shows with him. Just a monstrosity of a man. And he was smaller at that point than he was during his career, but just like an absolutely massive human being. And one who, who knows, I mean, they look back at it in hindsight being 2020, maybe a guy they just probably could have kept as a, as a novelty and, and protected. And who knows, probably could have made a lot of money. But uh, ultimately, trying to push him to main event staff just just didn't work
0: yeah oh, oh. oh Brian yeah you heard that noise
1: yeah what, what was that
0: breaking fake news my friend oh boy breaking fake news we're back sergeant slaughter is at it again brian
1: <laughs> oh no <laughs> sergeant
0: slaughter is at it again according to an article i read uh, just this past week let me give you the details here um sergeant slaughter helped get the undertaker to the wwf quote he was wrestling down in wcw kind of floundering around he had real short red hair mark Callis, mean mark Callis. I saw a video of him, took it to Vince McMahon, and he said, Sarge, if you think he's good enough to be here, bring him in for a tryout. So they brought him to Rochester, New York. He wrestled the first match, and as I was watching the, mo- the match, all of a sudden my headset went off my ear, and I heard Vince McMahon's voice, and he said, where'd you find this guy? And I said, in a box of tapes. So, Brian, yes, Sarge's slaughter plucked the six foot 10 inch guy with red hair who is already on national television from obscurity and into the WWF. The undertaker owes everything that he has become to Sergeant Slaughter.
1: (laughs) Wow. Uh, Just, you know, the, uh, the careers that he's responsible for launching and the, the things in in the wrestling business that he's responsible for just, you know, they know no limit, Mike, they know no limits. No one knew about me and
0: Mark Callis until <laughs> Sergeant Slaughter found a tape of him.
1: Thank God he was going through that old box of tapes. <laughs>
0: Thank God. So, yes, yeah, Sarge's Tall Tales, another chapter in the long book of Sarge's Tall
1: Tales. It's a novel at this point.
0: That is Breaking Fake News. Now, back to our regularly scheduled episode The Nothing of the New Generation of the WWF. Brian, The Nothing.
1: So, so here, here's one, and it, and it's ironic. Uh, something that's made a bit of a comeback in the in the last couple years, the NWA, Mike. And I think this was towards the tail end of this new generation era, but still something that I think worthy of being mentioned on the on the nothing list because it was absolutely nothing. You know, or, or am I messing up time periods, Mike? Do you think or
0: National Wrestling the when they brought the NWA in there, yes. I think that was the Attitude Era. Really? It might have been. It might have been 97. Can we Um, still...
1: Yeah, that's what I feel like. It was like 1997. Can we still crap on it? Can we still talk about it being being nothing? (laughs) 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 Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I don't understand bringing in sort of a dead brand and having it exist within the confines of WWE with its own titles and just so strange with Jeff Jarrett wearing a weird singlet and... I think the Rock and Roll Express even came in, mm-hmm. and, uh, Bodacious Bart and Bombastic Bob, or I might have those backwards. But uh, Tommy was, Young, Tom—I don't remember Tommy Young as part of this. He came in as a ref. You refed a couple things for them. Wow, I don't—I don't remember that piece of it, but I'm sure uh, Mike Mills's buddy, one James E. Cornette, I'm sure, was waving the flag of the NWA in the creative meetings, pushing this.
0: Oh, uh, my goodness. All right, we're running low on time, Kingpin. So let's do a little rapid fire, good, bad, and nothing. Uh, I will say, I mean, good Monday Night Raw debuted uh, just before the new generation kicked off. Monday Night Raw, of course, still running today. A uh, great showcase for wrestling, even though you know it's very long as uh, wrestling tends to be these days. But Monday Night Raw, the introduction of Monday Night Raw, a great thing.
1: Yeah, I'm like so I'll go to a best something bad and, and and it's funny it's related to raw and that's the advent of the taped raws that that felt very canned and um taped <laughs> you know, <laughs> to say the very least <laughs> but they didn't feel they didn't feel spe- raw felt special initially uh when it when it went live and then kind of nitro when nitro came in it felt special because it was live and you could tell and it, those taped raws had a feel to them they certainly did
0: yeah okay I agree with that uh the nothing how about Billionaire Ted skits.
1: Yeah, I have, I have that on my list, buddy. <laughs> I
0: mean, people like to put a lot of credence on that. Like, people, I've read something saying that, like, they caused people to change the channel to WCW to see what was going on over there. I, I maybe I, it doesn't really seem like that would be the case, but the billionaire Ted skits, I got a couple chuckles out of it. I mean, the first one anyway, as they went on and on and on, it got a little tedious and monotonous, but. It was a fun little thing. I don't think it really affected anything either way. I mean, it was the first time that they really acknowledged the competition, which was uh, kind of groundbreaking for WWF anyway, that they acknowledged what was going on in a separate organization. But uh, it really didn't amount to much to me.
1: No, I'm right there with you. It was mildly amusing at first and then just like, oh, we're still doing this, huh? Okay.
0: Yeah. Okay, good, Kingpin.
1: All right, I'm going to say mankind—the the creation of mankind—and uh, him, him debuting, I, I, and, the, and then also the kind of when they del- delved into his personal history and the interview with Jim Ross, and just overall, I think that was a uh, was a very good thing in the in the new generation, and and I and even though the character that he's most remembered for, even though it was called Mankind, is vastly different than this one, I thought this character was excellent just so many layers to it especially when they did do um the personal backstory uh just a lot a lot of depth of the character and just mick foley played it to uh you know played it perfectly and i loved it i thought it was tremendous
0: agreed um bad how about the ringmaster
1: (laughs) yeah on my list (laughs) the
0: ringmaster of course it all ended up uh, working out in the end for that uh young upstart but starting out as the ring master giving him a manager i guess they didn't see any of his promos especially in ecw but boy uh if they really Wanted to dig their heels in on this we could have had a whole different thing going on it could have been a whole different attitude era if they didn't listen to people if they didn't listen to Steve Austin himself and uh, allow him to change his name and give him some input into his character and really set off and run with it but the ringmaster was uh, quite a stinker to set off things for Steve Austin's WF career
1: <laughs> yes nothing. Uh, nothing. All right. I'm going to say the tag team and women's divisions, Mike, just both completely. I mean, they tried to do something with a Alundra Blaze, but ultimately it was one woman and, and, and really what's her most memorable few was Bol Nakano. Uh, very disappointing. And then the tag team division just always felt like mishmash tag teams and uh, never really a focal point and and not a lot of great teams that, that come to mind when you think of the, the new generation.
0: Well, I'm sure there's plenty that we're missing here. I know I want to mention Salvatore Sincere was one of my favorite things about the, the WWF at this time. Because his name was Sincere, but he was completely insincere, Brian. You understand what they did with this thing?
1: Oh, I understand. Are we wrapping this up, Mike? Yes. Okay, I can't let you wrap. We can't wrap it up without... I mean, we've made sort of mention to them. Um, I let, Let's end it on a high note. What do you say? Sure. we got to mention Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. Uh, I mean... They are the ultimate, probably good of this era, and especially when you think about the WrestleMania 12 Iron Man match and and all that meant. But I think I think these two guys are the crowning achievements, the flag bearers, the I I think almost unquestioned best two things, one and one A to come out of this era. Yes,
0: I will agree with you, but Uh, uh, I always have to rain on the parade brian oh boy i think we have to mention this guy because he was a focal point of the new generation and i think people will give us some shit if we don't mention him where do you think diesel and his run as the wf champion falls is it good bad or is it nothing
1: i, th- I think it's good I, th- I think diesel was was uh diesel's one of those guys where like the rise of him was much better than when he actually became the guy like the 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 title chase and the the rise to the top was better than when he actually got on top um but it's weird how he won the
0: title do you remember how he won the title
1: he won it from Backlund at madison square garden right yeah it wasn't on tv yeah yeah, which, you know, definitely very strange for that era. But, uh, yeah, I think Diesel definitely falls into into the good. Maybe ended up being a little bit disappointing um, once he became champion. But, I mean, certainly, uh, again, the rise of Diesel from Shawn Michaels' bodyguard up the ranks to the WWE championship was a lot of fun.
0: Well, if you read the dirt sheets, Brian, he was the worst-drawing WWF champion of all time.
1: <laughs> well i mean probably the worst three are in this era so i mean
0: yeah it's hard to really quantify in terms i, I think
1: of- it just it speaks to overall you know the business being down at that point and you know I, I think it speaks to the overall state of the business rather than those three guys as as individuals
0: all right i know there's stuff that we've left out here there's a lot there's a lot it's a new generation it is well, a it's
1: fun to talk about this era though
0: It has been, and I really want people out there to let us know what we missed. Let us know. Tweet us at the WPAN on Twitter with your take. Your thoughts on our discussion about the new generation of the WWF. Use the hashtag WPAN so we can respond to you and hear what you guys have to say. Also, why don't you leave a voicemail and talk to us about it. 401-584-9726. That's 401-584-WPAN. We really appreciate you when you call in and leave us a voicemail. We play them right here. You can hear your voice on the show. 401-584-9726. I want to talk about a couple more things, Brian. But before we do... Let's talk about Booking the Territory, the unprofessional wrestling podcast with Mike Mills, Harbody Harper, and Doc Turner. They do two podcasts a week. Sundays the Smoky Mountain Show. Thursdays is their flagship show where they're talking about the old NWA Saturday Night 605 show. MikeMills.Podbean.com. Doing big things over there with Booking the Territory. So much extra content, too, if you want to become a Patreon. TinyURL.com slash... BTT Patreon I think is the thing so go check that out booking the territory with Mike Mills and his crew our vantage point the retro wrestling podcast they're talking about the retro wrestling they've talked about the new generation a bunch and they talked about uh, all eras of the World Wrestling Federation, mostly because they are from the northern side of things. Little Joe Morata and Big Michael Quinn host that show. So check out our vantage point, ovppodcast.com. Lots of great talk on the Our Vantage Point show. Make sure you check that out. How about greetings from Allentown with PW Peter Winson, my former next door neighbor. So check out him. He's a single man talking about a single episode of wrestling television and bringing in all of his own opinions and thoughts. So check out greetings from Allentown It really is a tremendous show. Uh, One of the best one man shows you're ever going to find. Check out greetings from Allentown on his own feed or the Wrestling on the feed on place to be nation and the rundown wrestling podcast with Jason Stewart and all our pals over there on the rundown wrestling network. So many shows there go to rundown com to find them all and enjoy kingpin you've been all over the place you worked that show last wednesday and uh, you also worked for ring of honor in pittsburgh and columbus was it
1: yes indeed pittsburgh pennsylvania columbus ohio how'd those shows go a lot of fun i mean i had a great time uh meeting fans getting beers bought for for me that's that's oh kind of become like the thing now fans buying us beers so that's a. Uh, that's always a good time, and just starting to see, you know, I think I think the really cool thing is going to different towns now, and just seeing the familiarity that the folks have to us, and the and the liking that they've started to take, you know, they've really started to take to us, and um, really cool to see that the stuff we're doing on TV is resonating.
0: Something that I guess didn't resonate, Brian, is. Um Well, I I really – I mean, the the new name of War Raiders, Arpel, Todd, (laughs) and uh, Ray Rowe, of course, they were War Machine. They came into the WWF. They were the War Raiders. Now they are the Viking Experience. And I'm just kind of upset not about the name because a name can grow on you. I talked about the Big Boss Man. That is an actual name that someone sat in a boardroom and said, let's call this guy the Big Boss Man. Eventually, it just stuck and it became a normal thing in your head. But just think about that name, and that name is just weird. But I'm just upset the fact that their name kind of overshadowed the fact that, you know, two guys who've worked very hard and are just tremendous athletes, tremendous people, especially our buddy Todd. I don't know Ray that well, but uh, our buddy Todd made his monday night raw debut and i want that to be the story i don't want the story to be their stupid name
1: yeah you know what's funny is uh i kind of got the heads up to this uh on monday morning at about 4 a.m uh, really yes yeah, sitting in the columbus airport while our good friend uh Ivar, as he is now, as he is now called, but uh, for the former handsome Johnny, one-time Warbeard Hanson, and now Ivar, um, he was sitting, I believe, stranded in, I think, Charlotte, North Carolina, having the like. Someday, if he writes a book, the travel to his his Monday Night Raw debut will be uh, a chapter in itself, and and all the delays and didn't know if he was getting into town at one point, and oh man, all that good stuff. But uh, yeah, so I was so it was four a.m. and we were just chit-chatting and then kind of putting two and two together and then he finally says like yeah so i'm making we're making our raw debut tonight you know it's like holy shit <laughs> like you know just crazy but yeah i mean people were going nuts over this i think it's because uh, they already you know they've already been established as war raiders within a wwe product you know and, and i will say it is a little weird when they are recognized as one thing on a wwe product and then they just come out, and they're like this new thing, and there's no acknowledgement of any reason why it's different, even though it was this, it was not different like a week ago. <laughs> yeah, and but, the fact uh,
0: that they're champions, but they didn't come out with belts. And people in the past, when they're NXT champions, they come out with their NXT titles.
1: Yeah, but I mean, hey, you know what? It's it, it just getting there, and... Uh, Getting there, getting the opportunity, and, the, and then ultimately, if they do the things that we all hope they're going to do, uh, and that they're and that they're capable of, then it's it's not going to freaking matter. It's it's really, you know, it's really not going to matter. They're just just being there and pinning the tag champs on your first night uh, on TV. Um, crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. I, I I put out like kind of a social media post and kind of saying like I I feel like I could cry right now just knowing what Todd's been through and unfreaking believable he is now a member of the the raw roster like think about that like that is as as unbelievable it was for him to be an nxt and doing the things as he's doing he is now a main roster member um a year or so ago a little over a year ago he was working independent shows and and now he's part of the raw roster so uh, congratulations and, and, and I know Ray a little bit better than you do and Ray, Ray has, has been again put in a lot of hard work and a lot of years and
0: almost died yeah
1: yeah exactly and um just you know another another hard-working great guy and for the short period of time I, i was in ring of honor with uh with todd and ray as much as obviously me and todd talked uh ray was always there to pull me aside and um you know help me out and and try to give me tips and um so happy happy for both of them but obviously much like you just over the moon for for todd
0: yeah, and uh, just bottom line. Ivar, I excuse me. Oh, excuse, yes, excuse you. Bottom line, a name is a name. Get over it, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, it's it's just. It, yeah it, it's it's new i think that's the i mean yes. everybody should all over war raiders too initially if you remember mm-hmm. um not not to the extent but that's just because viking you know viking experience debuting on raw has a lot more visibility than a team coming into nxt but yeah i, I mean a few months from now when they're when they're freaking raw tag team champions and they're over nobody's gonna really give a shit
0: no so all right brian it's time for this week's promo about nothing but before we get into that, you are hitting the highways and byways and airways, crisscrossing this great nation of ours, plying your trade as a professional wrestler, and you got
1: dates. I do, Mike, and it's uh, it's crazy. We're, we're, in, we're into May, heading towards June here. Uh, the next time I will be in action will actually be uh, the second half of the War of the Worlds tour uh, for Ring of Honor. I'll be heading to Grand Rapids, Michigan on Saturday night, May the 11th for uh what will be i believe a honor club exclusive event uh as part of the war of the world's tour and then the very next night uh, i'll be heading to chicago the great city of chicago to participate in ring of honors tv taping as part of the war of the world's tour Uh, as you know uh, or as the fans know lots of new japan talent is on these on these cards They've, they've been announcing it like crazy i even believe in chicago it's uh Briscoe's versus God. If you've been following that uh, that feud online, it's yes. been pretty interesting um but uh yeah get out there and if you're in if you're in the michigan or, or chicago area come out and see ring of honor RH wrestling.com for tickets and full info sign up for honor club uh it's a great deal and uh you, you can see there is no there are no house shows anymore for ring of honor everything is either tv or it's on honor club so get honor club if you can't be there live uh the very next week mike i'll be making my debut in the great state of wisconsin Ooh. how about that? Yeah, heading to uh, Bruce City Wrestling on Saturday night, May the eighteenth. Teaming with the Beer City Bruiser—that's his home promotion. I mean, he's come, he came to my home promotion. Now I'm going to his home. Uh, very excited to do so. Excellent. Uh, making my Wisconsin debut. Uh, very exciting. I'm, I'm sure I will be staying at the Bruiser uh, compound and drinking <laughs> lots of ice cold Miller lights with him after the show, but, uh, that's there, the drink of
0: choice. Uh, Miller light.
1: <laughs> yes, sir. Okay. Uh, that that is the drink of choice, and then Mike, believe it or not, we're getting into June at that point. Beginning of June, uh, Ring of Honor, state of the art tour, heading up to the Pacific Northwest for the first time. Uh, Saturday night, June first, heading to Kent, Washington, and then Sunday night, June the second, heading to Portland, Oregon. So three new states there coming up, Mike, in the, in the next like you know month and a half or so. So pretty exciting. Get to check those off the list. Yeah, good stuff. All right, well, if you want to book the kingpin all over the place, have him check
0: more things off of his list. Email Brian Malonis at Comcast.net or DM him on the Twitter at Brian Malonis. All right, this promo about nothing comes from the year 1995, so kind of right in the meat of what we've been talking about here today, but it is WCW, not WWF, World Championship Wrestling, and this is the Taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan, and the Giant. Let's take a listen to this week's promo about nothing.
2: You want the giant to accept the challenge? Hulk Hogan, machine versus machine? And you have the audacity? You say you're going to be in Denver? Hulk Hogan, maybe you don't remember. Look it. Hogan, do you remember what happened to you last time when I Took your head off. Ah, Randy Savage. Randy Maybe Savage. you don't remember. Do you remember what happened to you? Ah, Hulk Hogan. Uh, Hogan. <laughs> ah, Sting. Sting. It's coming. Ah! Randy Savage. Uh-huh. nice hat. Ah, Hulk Hogan. Ah, uh, Ah, Hogan. I have one more thing to talk to you about. It's that monster truck you're building. Well, when you see the truck from the Dungeon of Doom, those people outside of Detroit and River Rouge, we're going to take that Bigfoot truck of yours, and when we get through with it, they're going to make parts out of it, just like this. Oh, oh, you're bringing ass a big foot. We're real scared. In fact, we're not even violent people because he wouldn't even hurt a fly. You don't fly, Hogan. You better not show up in Denver. There's some things even the taskmaster himself can't control. Hogan, okay. you're...
0: Well, it's a shame that the he laugh Hall of Fame is all boarded up, Brian, because <laughs> we have a couple of uh, charter members here.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, sadly though, Mike, this promo is probably more entertaining than that dog shit monster truck battle that they had.
0: I want to ask you something, Brian. Why, I mean, obviously when Andre the Giant would be interviewed by Vince McMahon, They'd put Andre up on like a little platform to make him look a little taller. Why is the height differential so astronomical in this promo? Basically, Kevin Sullivan's head is dick height
1: on the giant. (laughs) I I honestly thought Kevin Sullivan was sitting down.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what the hell is going on there, but he's literally just his head (laughs) peeking up above, you know, the uh, view of the camera.
1: (laughs) His head just peeking around his wiener.
0: Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Uh, So this promo, (laughs) a lot of props. Carrot Top is very jealous of this promo about nothing all props for this thing
1: eight by tens toy trucks <laughs>
0: yeah breaking toys and promos always good it's always great do you think such a
1: heel such a heel move
0: yeah so he picks up this monster truck thing which is obviously uh, you know a toy do you think it was gimmicked or do you think he really just tore that thing apart with his hands he had a little difficulty with it but not much
1: i, I don't th- i mean how would you even gimmick that I don't is know. your mind is your mind so warped from <laughs> wrestling being at work that you can't even Oh, they must have gimmicked this this toy truck.
0: Yeah, they probably sliced a little bit so it smashed easy when Sli- he
1: sliced it where? It's like plastic. <laughs> I don't know. It's like molded plastic. The hell are you even talking about?
0: Well, I mean he, okay, so he did... have you
1: had to drink, buddy.
0: <laughs> he did really destroy this uh this monster truck uh, replica there. but yeah, he's uh, like a
1: 400-pound dude. <laughs> like,
0: and he's got massive hands. Those are uh, very frightening. Also, I want to talk about these guys were not on the same page because Kevin Sullivan was basically talking to the air. It was almost like he was doing the WWE style of promo 20 years before they did. Backstage, where the guys are not addressing the camera. they are got their eyes averted to some mysterious roaming camera in the air sullivan is pointing like off camera and talking to hogan meanwhile the giant is pointing directly to the camera and saying things directly to the camera so like something was off here where one guy didn't know what the other guy was doing but uh or maybe kevin sullivan is just crazy and thinks he's talking to random voices maybe that's what they're going for here
1: maybe i'm uh, sure <laughs> <laughs> if i had to guess it probably wasn't that well thought out <laughs> this era WCW,
0: <laughs> they just knew enough to get the you know the dry ice in there basically yes and get kevin Sullivan to be dick height on the giant
1: <laughs> well you gotta put over his height
0: you do have to put over his height and his dick uh so this is the last promo <laughs> okay <laughs> and this is the last promo before the giant died right
1: <laughs> well yeah, he was dead for a very short period of time
0: Then he came back to life. It's quite ironic. This is the day after Easter.
1: (laughs) Yes, Michael. (laughs) He is
0: risen. The giant. Thank goodness.
1: Like faster than Jesus did.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. You heard this promo about nothing. If you want the full picture, find the link to the video in the description of this episode or at the WPAN.com. All right. We'll be back here next Monday for episode 157 of the wrestling podcast about nothing. Till then. He is the Kingpin Brawler Brian Malonus. I'm Mike Crockett, big ups to Mucko, and thanks for nothing!